Wednesday morning chapel. The, um, uh, today we have Pastor Luke Ulrich with us, who is the pastor, one of the pastors at Mount Olive Lutheran Church, one of the 130 churches or so that own and operate Bethany Lutheran College. It's about four blocks uh, to the east of campus. And if any of you'd like to make that your church home while you're here at Bethany, I'm sure he'd be happy to speak with you afterwards. The text he will be preaching on, by the way, today is different than the one in your bulletin, and I'll take the blame for that. Um, God's blessings on our worship today. Chaplain Molstead mentioned the text printed in your bulletin isn't what I prepared for today, so I invite you instead to please listen along as I share with you 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 10 through 12. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. But you, O man of God, flee these things. And pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life to which you were also called. 
and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. And we pray. These are your words, Heavenly Father. Sanctify us by the truth. Your word is truth. Amen. Please be seated. Do you remember having to read that incredibly depressing book in grade school, Where the Red Fern Grows? There's a section in that book where Billy, he's the boy, his grandfather explains to him how to build a trap for raccoons. You have to go and you find a a hollow log and you make a hole in that hollow log and then you put a shiny piece of metal into that hole, in that log, a shiny piece of tin. And then you put nails across that opening that you had, had made so that there's enough space for the raccoon to reach his hand in there, but once he grabs hold of that shiny piece of metal, he can't get his hand back out. And there you go, you have trapped a raccoon. Now Billy scoffed at this advice from his grandfather and said, that's silly, Grandpa. The raccoon could just easily let go of that shiny piece of tin and get away. What kind of trap is that? But Grandpa explains, once that raccoon reaches in and grabs hold of that shiny tin, he's caught because he's not going to let go. He's not going to open his paw. Even though he could easily get away, He's trapped because of his extreme desire to have that shiny piece of metal. Even though there's no value to it, it's just a worthless piece of tin. It's junk of no value at all, and yet that raccoon refuses to let go of it. And so he ends up giving up his life for the sake of that piece of junk. Now, I don't know if that kind of raccoon trap would actually work in real life. But I do know that this is how so many people get trapped by Satan. Satan loves to to hold these shiny objects before us so that we will reach and grab them, these, these shiny, worthless objects that command our attention. He wants us to grab hold of them and then refuse to let go so that we might even sacrifice our own lives for the sake of that That thing that's ultimately worthless junk. Satan understands the tremendous power of greed and of what is called avarice. That's the old theological word, meaning the love of money. It's what St. Paul is warning us about at the start of our our text. Warning about the the love of, of money. And so Satan comes and he tries to hold before us all of these different things that we will want to grab onto, that we will then want to refuse to let go, even though it'll mean that he'll have us trapped, that we'll be easy prey for him to come and devour us and destroy us. So what is that shiny piece of metal, that shiny piece of tin that Satan puts in front of you to try and trap you with it? How has he tempted you to become discontent with what God has given you? What is that thing that you don't have that he tries to entice you with to try and get you to stray from your faith in greediness so that you'll be pierced through with with all sorts of sorrows? And we see people of all walks of life 
falling to these traps of wanting that shiny object, of loving money, of loving material things. Greed and avarice, they affect people of all walks of life, regardless of whether you have money, regardless of whether you have or you have nothing at all. Being rich, this is something that sometimes people don't understand. Being rich in the way that the Bible warns against being sinfully rich It's not about whether you have money or not. It's about the condition of your heart, whether your heart is given over to money, desiring it, loving it, wanting it. We see this sinful attitude all around us, don't we? The child who pushes down another child in order to get the toy that that other child was playing with, or or the child who throws a fit because he realizes that there's a bigger cookie that someone else has, or the teenager who complains because she doesn't have the, the latest and greatest designer clothes or the latest iPhone model that everyone else has, or that person who's embarrassed to drive around in, in his rusty old minivan thinking that he deserves a nicer, newer car. It's the person who isn't happy with the way they look or with the athletic abilities that they don't have or the person who doesn't have as big of a house or a retirement fund as his co-workers. I once even heard about an elderly lady in a nursing home who was not happy with her smile. And so one morning she decided to swap out her old fake teeth with the nice new dentures that her neighbor had when her neighbor wasn't looking. God's warning is clear. Greed, avarice, the love of money, being discontent with what we have, wanting more and more, it's unhealthy and ultimately it's destructive. Jesus himself said, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. So this is serious. It's impossible to have the kind of heart and attitude of a sinful rich man and also then simultaneously to possess the riches of heaven. And that's why St. Paul, in our text, he encourages us, flee from these things. Flee, run away from greed and avarice as if your life depended upon it. This is serious. See that the things here in this world, the shiny objects that Satan places before you, they have no lasting value. Remind yourself instead of what Jesus says, about what we should value and where we should invest. When he says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. St. Paul says in our text, lay hold of eternal life. This is the answer to those shiny objects that Satan lays before us, those temptations that that we've even grabbed at ourselves. Let go of those things and instead say, listen here, Satan. I have something worth far more than anything you can offer because I have in my clenched fists the eternal life that God has given to me. I have the glorious treasures of heaven in store for me. And so that means all the shiny objects that you lay before me, they're worthless junk compared to the true treasures that I get to hold in my hand, that I get to hear every day in chapel, 
the true treasures that are poured upon my head in baptism that I get to receive with my own mouth when I take the Lord's Supper. So instead of having the attitude of a rich man, of a rich person, you and I, we can be content with any situation that we might find ourselves in in life because you and I are pointed to the eternal life to which you and I have been called. We know that in Christ Jesus, our sins are completely forgiven. What a treasure that is. Even our sins of greed, of avarice, of being discontent and grumbling against God, Jesus has taken those sins upon himself. He took them to the cross. He paid for them all in full. And in place of those sins, Jesus puts his righteousness upon you and me. Righteousness with he, which he earned with his holy, perfect life. A life of complete, perfect contentment. We now possess that righteousness that enables us to stand before God's presence, which welcomes us into the presence of God forever in heaven. And with his resurrection from the dead, our Lord Jesus now flings wide open the gates of heaven and he says, you are going to rise and you can come enter and enjoy all the riches and luxuries that I have in store for you here. This is what is in store for you. What a treasure this is. What riches we have. And what a comfort it is to us that even now we are in possession of these things. And that's what gives us, even now, regardless of any situation we might find ourselves in, to be content, to not give ourselves over to greed or avarice. Think of John the Baptist, itchy camel hair clothing, eating locusts with a little wild honey. It might be challenging to be content living such a life as John the Baptizer. And yet he was content. How? Because he recognized and he saw the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, including his sins. Or think of Job in the Old Testament. He was wealthy and suddenly everything he had was taken away from him. It would have been so easy for him to be discontent, to complain, to grumble against God. Everyone was expecting him to do that. But instead, Job professed godly contentment. Would a sinfully rich man be able to say, naked I came, naked I depart, blessed be the name of the Lord. How is it that Job could do this? Because he also professed this. He said, I know that my Redeemer lives and he shall stand at last on the earth and after my skin is destroyed. This I know that in my flesh I shall see God whom I shall see for myself and my eyes shall behold and not another how my heart yearns within me. Job's heart wasn't given over to the stuff of this world. It's clear that his heart was given over to his Redeemer and to the joy of that coming day of resurrection. Job was pointing himself ahead to his own resurrection and to the glorious future that was waiting him in heaven. And this is what you and I, we point ourselves to as well. Especially when we recognize that there are all these shiny temptations that Satan has laid before us. We remind ourselves we have something better. We have heaven that belongs to us. God himself has come to you and he has given you the greatest treasure that you can imagine. The greatest thing that we can find here in this world. You find it here in chapel every day as this precious word is shared with you. The word of forgiveness, of salvation that comes through Jesus. On Sundays when you come to church, 
You receive a precious treasure as the body and blood of your Savior is shared with you to eat and to drink for the forgiveness of your sins. What a treasure you have that every time you have a repentant heart and you turn to God with true repentance, he points you back into the baptismal font and he says, I have washed you. My name is written upon you. Go in peace. What a treasure we find in the means of grace. This is where we find the true treasures here in this world, the most valuable things, because they open to you and to me the riches of heaven. So forget all the riches of this world. You and I, we can rejoice in knowing that God has promised us riches in the world to come. As St. Paul wrote to the Corinthians, he said, You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. How great is heaven going to be? It's so far beyond anything we can even fathom. And yet this is what God has in store for us because of the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And knowing this, having this precious treasure of our Savior means that whether we have much or whether we have little here in this world, we can be content with it because we have laid hold of, we celebrate, we rejoice in the eternal life that belongs to us through Jesus. All glory be to him. Amen. Please rise. And the peace of God that passes all understanding, guard and keep your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus to life everlasting. Amen. We join together now in the morning prayer, Luther's morning prayer, and you find that on page 167 in the front part of our hymnal in the top left column. And we pray this together. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. I thank you, my heavenly Father, through Jesus Christ, your dear Son, that you have kept me this night from all harm and danger. And I pray you to protect me this day also from sin and every evil, that all my doings in life may please you. For into your hands I commend myself, my body and soul and all things, let your holy angel be with me, that the wicked foe may have no power over me. Amen.
grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all.